for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back to Elk Camp, guys. Welcome to the show tonight. You're not going to want to miss it. You know, one of the number one questions that we get is how to become a better elk caller. Well, today on today's show, that's exactly what we're going to discuss. We're going to discuss how to improve our elk calling confidence. We got the guides in the house. We got our hunting partners here. Everybody's ready to go. So y'all pull up a chair, dial your volume up just right. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello again, everyone. If this is your first time with us, well, welcome back to the elk camp. And if for those of you that have been following us for our show, welcome back again. And before we get started, I want Joe and Chav and I to give some shout outs to some of our Elk Pro brothers and, and our listeners out there that have been in over 350 cities, grinding it out every week and every day with us, topping the downloading charts for our show. Joe, I'm going to let you lead it off. Yeah, I can't believe this, uh, Gilbert. You know, over 350 cities. Um, people from all over, nine different countries. But we're just going to – a few of those names that are up at the top of the chart I just think are so cool, and uh, we want to give some shout-outs out there. So the first one, I cannot believe how fitting this name is. But a big old shout-out to Elko, Nevada. How's that for a name? <laughs> Elko, Nevada. Elko, I mean, Nevada. I, I've asked our, our guides – Joe Gillia and, and our, my hunting partner, Leroy Chav Chavez, I've, I've asked them who they know in Elko, Nevada. And <laughs> I'm telling you, bro, I, I don't know anybody in Elko and uh, these guys don't. So from all of us to all of you in Elko, welcome back to the show. <laughs> and we also have a good contingent from Athol, Idaho. And I hope I pronounced that name right. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good, uh, uh, Chav. Athol, sure. Idaho. Yeah, another one's from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oshkosh. So that's our brothers to the north, no doubt. We appreciate you tuning in, guys. And and even further, going over towards the, the east over there, Chelsea, Mass. Chelsea, Massachusetts is out there. We had another one that sent in something uh, this week from the great state of Michigan in Kalamazoo. So uh, for all those Michiganders that are out there, uh, whether you live – like right here or over here or wherever. <laughs> uh, I know all that because I married a Michigander. So oh, uh, I see Kalamazoo for sure. 
<laughs> and uh, we're getting a good surge from the 505 Albuquerque, New Mexico. Big shout out to Burke. Yeah, buddy. That's and, awesome. Uh, also, uh, our frozen brothers up north up there, man, you know that they're, they're thinking about it. Uh, they're up there topping the charts from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Absolutely. So thank you, guys. And from the wet city, I haven't been there ever until in, unless it's been raining. Seattle, Washington comes in the house. You know, I uh, was in Seattle, spotted some elk. My wife said, only you. <laughs> <laughs> I believe those, they got some Thule elk up there too, Joe. Oh, do they really? Yeah, I think they've got the, the Thule. And I want to say so there's the Rocky Mountain, the Thule, and then the Roosevelt, right? So I think Seattle. I, think they, I know they have the Rosies, and I think they have the Rockies. And I know Maybe I thought they, the Thule's were California, but I'm not too sure about you, that. You sure could be right. Maybe yeah. it's the Roosevelt that they have, yeah. And a shout-out to uh, our neighbors to the north, about a four-hour drive to Denver, Colorado. And uh, I recall, was it last year? We were driving back down, and I saw an elk herd right in the middle of a big subdivision. You know, those poor elk didn't know where to go. Yeah, I've got a good friend of ours. Y'all know him really well, Bruce Gaynor. We call him Chicken Wire down here. He bought a place in Conifer, uh, which is on the outskirts of Denver, and they've got elk on their place all the time, elk and mule deer and cougars and you name it. So just right outside, maybe 45 minutes to the southeast or southwest of Denver. Uh, right. We appreciate all those listeners there out of Denver. We also got to give a huge shout out to the 281-713-832. Uh, that's, it's so big, it's got to have three area codes. We're talking about H-Town, Houston, Texas. So all the people out of H-Town, we, we sure appreciate y'all tuning in. And all you, all you guys out there, man, um, uh, we've got people from the Netherlands, from Sweden, from Spain, uh, London, England, you know, that it's just way cool. And want to thank all you guys for tuning in, listening to our show. We really hope that you're learning some things. Hope you enjoy hanging out with us and, and learning something about what we're so passionate about. So, um, if we could also give some reminders to our listeners out there, guys, please, Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Just push that button on whatever uh, app or you're listening to your podcast. Or if you're in um, on YouTube, please subscribe to us there. And if you would, there's a share button on, on that. Go ahead and share our podcast or, or YouTube with at least five of your hunting buddies or buddettes, man. I mean, <laughs> just send it out there. And, and uh, the, the more we have, the merrier. And it helps us and, uh, and feel good about uh, what we're doing for you, okay? Um, rate us. Rate our show uh, on your favorite podcast app. We're also on the Elk Bros YouTube channel. Uh, reviews, right? Right. Could use some reviews, guys. Um, you know, write one and let other people know what kind of show we have out here. If you like what you hear, or even if you don't, um, you are our biggest and our best ambassadors out there. And that means that you are helping us to promote something that is just awesome as far as being able to go out in those woods, be part of the natural order of things, part of conservation and, uh, and going and, and chasing these majestic animals. So, you know, go ahead and send those. Yeah, and, you know, if you have any questions about elk hunting and would like to have it answered on our show, please just email your questions to info, that's I-N-F-O, at elkbros.com. We'll be glad to put your question up here on the show and answer them and have a, a full discussion about it. You know, Joe, Chav, our next shout-out needs to go to all the guys and gals who drew their New Mexico elk tags this yeah. last week for the 2019 season. It was epic. Yeah, you know, we were sweating it out, right? No, <laughs> no everybody. Every, every everybody year. was. I, I can't wait to get to elk camp, I can tell you that. And I know our guys are, you know, that love to elk hunt together. We, we're stoked about it uh, and blessed to be able to be able to hunt together another year for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was it was supposed to come out uh, on the twenty fourth, yeah, and got it early. What, yeah, what day did what day did we leave camp uh, from Texas? I think it was like the twentieth or twenty yeah. first, something right in that time. Right, and, and and we're going down the road, and all of a sudden, man, my phone starts blowing up. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was Manano's like, 
I drew, I drew. <laughs> yeah, so leave uh, it to the Venezuelan mafia to get the news first. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they were super excited, um, and it always feels good to know that part of it's already, you know, in the basket and, and it's ready to go. And also had their draw already is Wyoming, you know, for the non-residents, right? Then, uh, Arizona, Montana, and uh, North Dakota. Yep, those guys um, have also drawn. Um, they had their draws before us, so there's a lot of happy people in those states. But there's still some people out there sweating it out in some of those other states because, let's see, Utah is yeah. May 11th. Then comes Nevada. Elko, hope you guys get it, man. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, and they're May 24th. South Dakota, you know, um, I went to South Dakota in the, the Black Hills, that trip we took, mm-hmm. Chad. Right. And what do you think of that area? That sure looked like there'd be a lot of elk in that area. It was beautiful country. Beautiful, beautiful country. Beautiful country. I mean, just nice, beautiful rolling hill, thick grass, a lot of good moisture. You know, so I never had thought of South Dakota as an elk destination, man. But, you know, it's just beautiful out there. So their uh, draw comes June 4th. Uh, Colorado, it says June 3rd to the 7th, but should I bet it's going to be right around June 5th. The good thing about Colorado is if you don't draw, they usually have a lot of OTC tags over there that uh, people can purchase. Uh, yeah, OTC, follow, we mean over-the-counter tags. Correct, yeah, over-the-counter. So you can purchase those for particular areas. And there's even, you know, if you go look at some of these states, they don't have just one draw. They even have other draws that take place for any additional leftover tags and, and, and stuff like that. And then they'll have special draws. So um, if you didn't get it in the first one, make sure you check your proc for your state and see what's happening as far as additional draws or possibility of over-the-counter. And there's some states that uh, don't even have a draw. You know, uh, they, they just uh, – uh, they're pretty much you just buy your licenses there so um, yeah i want to talk about my home state of texas you know we're getting a bigger and bigger elk herd out in the glass mountains and the davis mountains and there's no season on them I mean, they're they're not a creature that we have a season on uh, but i know texas parks and wildlife every year uh, are meeting to discuss that i've got several buddies of mine that have shot bulls on low fence ranches uh one of my buddies in terrell county shot a seven by six this year probably scored 320 and uh it's on a low fence ranch now no doubt those bulls probably got so what do you mean by low fence ranch so we have high fence ranches that are 10 foot game ranches game game ranches Mm -hmm. uh you you know you've been on our ranch there at the mac prior it's got three sides of a game fence on it and then uh, we're open on the front end of it so it's not considered a total game ranch high fence game ranch right so when i'm talking about low fence i'm talking about just regular five strand barbed wire right right right. and uh so these are low fence ranches that are having elk herds come on i mean you know you and i both know you and chad both know that there's no five strand barbed wire that's going to keep an elk out. Oh, of, no. Right? No. So, I mean, they'll no. step right over it like it's not yeah. even there. So, well, uh, the, the public they're starting that you to kill do them in have Texas. Too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But they, so there's a lot of these game ranches that have had them fight and get out of fences and stuff like that. Right. But what they're seeing up out towards the West is those. Those critters are coming out of the Glass Mountains and out of the Davis Mountains. There's a big herd of elk up there, and uh-huh. I got some buddies of mine that own property there, and they're kill they kill a bull every year off of that place. So, also, let's moving on. Uh, California, your your uh, draw is on June thirteenth. Uh, Oregon, June twentieth. You know, I, I look at some of these guys, man. <clears throat> June twentieth, uh, Washington, June twenty first, then. Residents of Wyoming are June 22nd, and get this, Idaho, July 6th. So some of these guys are, like, finding out they're getting tags, man, and, I mean, they're having to turn around and get ready to, you know, get everything together to head out to, to hunt. So Yeah, uh, it won't be long. No, no, and, and so I, I imagine there's that's why a lot of people have opportunities to try to draw tags in some different states and if, if that's uh, – some of the things that you do again, Chav and I've never hunted out of New Mexico. It's always been in New Mexico. Um, you know, there might be a first time one day, uh, it would be nice. It'd be a nice on our bucket list there, uh, to do that. So, uh, 
it's not that we don't want to. It's It's been a couple of reasons, you know, the fact that, you know, we actually hunt that first hunt um, in September, you know, right there, September 1st to, to September 15th, uh, because then, uh, you know, I'm going out and I'm guiding after that point in time. So uh, my, my schedule fills up real quick with that. You know, Joe, I hunted both time, both sides. I've hunted the front end and I've hunted the back end. And I got to tell you, uh, I was skeptical about the front end, but I'm not anymore. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd, I'd rather hunt the front end of it. Number one, I feel like the animals aren't near as pressured. Uh, after 14 days of all of us thinking boys running up and down those hills, those, those elk get smart. You know, there's no more fun than being out there right around that 21st of, of September, man, when the equinox hits and, and those animals are screaming, they're in full rut. That's just, it's just so much fun, but it's, you know, and we've talked about this before, you know, on that early part of it, they're not herded up yet. Those big bulls are still shadowing your chances of getting one of those in there um, with different techniques are, are, are pretty good. Um, when they get in there and they get herded up, then you have to use different strategies. So really, I mean, all of these times have their pluses and their minuses. It's just all about strategies. And, and we're going to, in, in our elk calling, you know, we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit. And then we have a, a, a section in this confidence series that is on strategies and and we have a section on elk behavior so we're going to be covering a lot of that to hopefully make people more comfortable with that joe do you you really i've hunted also in the muzzleloader <clears throat> season in october and it was fantastic i mean they were going bonkers at the first oh sure in, in october yeah. so for the guys out there that can't get off in september or whatever i mean that first week in october is special as well and i think maybe even more special it, with all these bulls that are really going nuts trying to find cows. It, it was a little bit more difficult calling them because there were so many of them already cowed up and have a lot of cows with them, but there were tons of satellite bulls that were a lot easier to get. Sure. At, right? Cause right. they were, I mean that you put, when you went to bed, they were blowing you off your mattress, you know, I mean, it was, <laughs> well, it was crazy. They'd come walk right by the camp all night, you know, yeah, it's a super time. And if you're in New Mexico and you cannot um, you cannot get in September and you want to go October, heck yeah, that, that uh, muzzleloader season. And remember, you can hunt that muzzleloader season with a primitive weapon, so you could hunt it with a bow. October 1st is berserk. It I mean, really it's, is. It's I've just, never seen that many bulls in one place. Uh, I was fortunate enough to hunt with a friend of mine. I didn't guide him. I was fortunate enough to hunt with him, and uh, I called, I don't know, <laughs> it was a lot of bulls. We we come into this little park, and I've never seen that many bulls in one park. And uh, I think we had nine bulls there at one time. And Oh, sure. I asked him to shoot the biggest one, and he liked one that was kind of jacked up and bad horns looking <laughs> and all this. He, 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 he kind of funny about stuff like that, so he put him down. So. <clears throat> yeah, but yeah, and some people really like cold. to get those unique bulls like that. People, uh, I'm, 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 I'm your huckleberry. Right? Yeah, there you go. That one you killed last year, Joe. Oh man, that that what's got the big bar going down, yeah. the drop tine, and all that. That's freaking crazy cool. You know, we're going to talk about elk calling confidence with this, and we had a chance to talk about calling confidence um, a bit on our reunion podcast and when we were down there with you guys in South Texas, and that was just so cool. And for you guys that haven't seen that, go watch episode 10, the reunion, um, get a chance to meet, uh, uh, see all of us together, meet the the Venezuela mafia and, and Ken McCorkle and uh, – you know, get to see me, Chav, and Gilbert together instead of doing this this face over to Houston, New Mexico thing. We make this work, and I, and I really look, like it. But look, we were blessed, man, to have you guys come down. I mean, to have, I mean, questionably some really famous hunting guys from up there in New Mexico come down to our set and and see how we roll in South Texas. I mean, it was <laughs> not an easy is not an easy hunt. No, I mean, not at uh, all. Those pigs are very formidable. Uh, and you guys, y'all handle it like a champ. So, so I've had all. nightmares, man. I mean, my, <laughs> my, my nightmares have consisted of being stuck uh, in this vast area of nothing but 
uh, cactus and stickers and, and all there is is grid lines in between. And I can't go from one side to the other. I got to stick to the grid. You know, it's, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's some tough country down there. You know, you it's just serious, wander you off know. into it. <laughs> I told you, that's why I tell all the guys. Now I got down here year round for a lot of different things. And I tell guys all the time, y'all want to kill one of these hogs? I got no problem but shoot him in the head. I'm not going in that rattlesnake infested, infested brush country and go to chasing your animal down. Yeah. Right. right. So, you know, so when we left your place, um, Mm -hmm. Chav and I were coming back on that 12 hour ride and, you know, it really gave us a, a, a good chance for a long discussion. And the cool thing about Chav is, you know, Again, he's been following me all these years, and he knows what I I do. But now he's in his own venture, and he's taken this journey of of elk calling along the way. And now he's just now starting to do the diaphragm call thing. So um, he's in that learning phase and brings a, a, a real good viewpoint on that. So after the discussion that we had and the fact that calling confidence takes your hunting to such a different level you know we we really felt that we needed to revisit it so that's what we're going to do right now and uh, so what I want to do is I want to start with Chav and have him talk about his calling journey and you know I'm going to let him just start it off we can throw in stuff here and there and we'll have a conversation but I, I want him to give a viewpoint that sometimes I even forget. Well, like uh, Joe mentioned, you know, it is a journey. Uh, when I first started hunting, well, obviously I started hunting with Joe, and I watched him go from uh, experimental caller to an expert caller. And for the longest time, and I, I didn't have to worry about calling. You know, uh, I've killed more than my share of elk, and most of them were within 30 yards, and Joe called him in. And, you know, these would be those hot, hot days for, the, you know, the temperature to get up there in the 80s, yeah. you know, cool off in the 40s at night, but it'd get hot the next day and no one's hearing anything. <laughs> and uh, he's calling in bulls, you know. Uh, he, he's got the technique down. Um, and then hunting with you the last couple of years, you know, I've seen your, you progress from a, a good caller to a proficient caller, and now you're an excellent caller. And I know with you, uh, and even with Joe, a lot of a lot of the opportunities that allowed you to become really good callers was the fact that you can get into a herd, sit there for an hour, seems like an hour, and listen <laughs> to them talk. Up. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, Joe mentioned too that uh, sometimes the whenever you do hear a bugle, sometimes you kind of I don't know if that's a bull or not, but rule number one is go after Always it anyway. Check it out. Yeah. I remember one time, you know, we took our uh, four four by four uh, Nissan pickup, Blackie. We called Blackie, and uh, we stopped. It was, it was probably noon because we got there early. You know, out of, got out of school early, got there around noon. Opened the door, closed it. It creaked, and a and a bull answered. <laughs> I'm telling you, it, it, get this, dude, man. We opened the door. Eat! <laughs> just like that and uh, not you know, 50 yards better. from the truck this bull screams at us man and uh, we're like oh my gosh this could be good today <laughs> yeah. and the one lesson that taught me when that happened was don't be afraid to try calling right. you know I've, I've always been afraid to use a diaphragm call and it tickled my palate and i just i just found the old uh Hoochie Mama and awesome. <laughs> and different things to try, but when you can call with a diaphragm call, it takes you to a different level. It really does. And uh, once you get to that level, then you can differentiate between different calls and even go to another level. So uh, this year, I decided, you know, I'm going to learn how to use a diaphragm call if it kills me. So I'd go to the back room every afternoon for about an hour, hour and a half, and turn on some hunting videos and try and mimic. Well, first of all, just try and make a noise with it. Right. Because it's not that easy when you're first starting. It's like, eh, uh, you know, and, and, you, and the whole thing is once you do make a noise, it's hard to repeat that same noise. And every once in a while you get it right and you go, oh, I got it right. And then you try again and it's not right. Yeah. And uh, I, look, I watched and listened to a lot of hunting videos 
and uh, they really didn't give me a whole lot because I wasn't able to get enough feedback. I actually get no feedback, but there weren't enough examples for me to gauge whether or not I was doing it right. So, you know, when I talked to Joe, I said, you know, when you do get your Elk Holland Academy set up on Elk Bros, uh, you need to think about the beginning caller as well as the expert caller. And he's got information for both that'll help both. And one thing with the beginning callers is, you know, show them the basic call calls. You know, you don't have to get fancy on the call call, just the basic, and then repeat, 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 so that if somebody's listening, they can try and mimic that. Well, you were even talking about how some people don't, you know, when they get the diaphragm, they don't even know which way it goes. Yeah, when I mouth. first got my diaphragm, I said, okay, which way does it go? <laughs> yeah. And then how come yeah. this one has a metal thing on it? Yeah. This has got a plastic thing on it, and some, some don't have anything it on it. Right. And uh, I even try to look at the instructions, but, you know, when you're first starting off, that's still foreign. And uh, I think I'm, I'm getting to the point where, you know, with, with some more practice, you know, I think I'm going to be okay this year. Um, so a lot of uh, what I find would be real important for beginners, and even some people that have been doing it for a while but aren't sure how to advance, is, you know, have a program where you can listen to a, a person cow calling and maybe using that same call call 10 times in a row and then giving you, you know, like a 20 second pause so you could practice it and then do it again, you know, something like that, you know, real basic. It's kind of like shooting a, a layup in basketball. You know, you start with the right footwork, you know, one basket at a time. And then as you get better, you go faster and faster and faster. And as you get better at that more proficient, then you start adding the fancy stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you and know, usually, and when you really fancy to everybody out there is just really about emotion. You know, um, it's about just taking what you have there, making it shorter. With it. Yeah. 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 Either adding some intensity, mm -hmm. adding some volume, making it quieter, making it longer. It's just really about that. And what Chad's talking about is that sometimes the, the best teachers are the elk out there because you're out there by the herd and you're like, yeah, and they're like, yeah, <laughs> and you just go, you can hear them and you can mimic them and you can repeat them. And it just goes back and forth or a bull chuckles at you, you know? And so you're trying to match up that chuckle back and forth. So what he's saying is, is that, you know, it, it's nice when a beginner can hear you, then they can do it. And it's almost like a battle. It's a battle round back and forth. You do it, they do it. You do it, they do it. And, you know, uh, so I, I see what he's talking about there. Yeah, and, and the same thing goes with a bugle, too, because, you know, we've heard all kinds of bugles. And a lot of the times, you know, we tell ourselves, well, that's, that's, that's a, a hunter. I'm not a very good hunter. And we go around the corner and there's a bull elk. <laughs> yeah, no you know, so you never know. And sometimes people say, well, I, that was a huge bull I could tell by the, the bugle. And sometimes it's just a spike or it's an old, old bull. Uh, you really can't tell. And uh, that's where different nuances come into play. And, you know, one of the – Joe's mentioned it before. One of the most basic uh, calls is just raking a tree, you know, you, you know, knowing when to do it in your sequence. Right. I, I was listening to uh, – I don't recall the guy's name. Uh, he's pr pretty well known. And he came up with a, a cow call sequence. And he, he did it. He did it one time. So I couldn't tell you what that sequence was. Now, if he repeated that like four or five times, I'd say, okay, I know that sequence. Do this, this, and that. But by doing it just one time, it was like, okay. <laughs> so I didn't get it. So, and it was still hard for you just to kind of do a rewind play, rewind play. Yeah, that's type of thing. Uh, that would probably, you know, we, uh, I'm not sure. You know, our internet service isn't the greatest over here. Right, right. So That's rewinding it, playing it, rewinding it, playing it, you know, it takes uh, a lot of effort where if you just have a continuous thing like that, I think that would really help a lot. Right, okay. And I know there's a lot of hunters out there that are probably pretty good and just are afraid to do it. You know, I know 
if you have a bull screaming down at you and your your throat gets dry and it's like time for a cow call, can I get it out or not? <laughs> or not? Right, right. And sometimes I don't even try it and they miss an opportunity. One of the things that's really helped me is number one, being with Joe for a lot of years and then hunting with Chav, but getting in front of getting in those big elk herds and listening to the elk. Um, Chav and I had an experience this year. It was crazy. I mean, I actually didn't even have a, uh, a bow with me. We, I'd left my hat up at the, up at a kill site and we went up there and I had my bugle tube and a diaphragm and we sat with a herd of elk for, I want to say it was pushing 45 minutes to an hour calling bulls in and moving cows to us. And, uh, but I got to really, enjoy listening to how a herd calves cows bulls satellite bulls herd bulls how they interact and watch their body language and also their calling and i had about a 20 minute chuckle off with two different bulls and it was it was awesome Uh, so the fact that they didn't run uh up to the top of the ridge and leave the country. I knew that we were, I knew that we were speaking the right language. Right, 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 right and, right. and those cows were like, "Where is that big son of a gun?" You know, they'd oh. come running over to us, and then another bull would round around them, and oh, we don't want you going over there. I mean, Chav and I had. I wish we'd have recorded that because it was well. And you know, you didn't have any pressure, and it really makes it easier at that time too. You know, you're not worried about getting on them, sending you. You're just enjoying the moment. And Unbelievable. But I learned pretty. A lot. You're a pretty proficient caller now, so where do you think at your level, because there's people that are kind of intermediate callers, people that can get out sounds, that can cow call, that can bugle, that can do a chuckle. You know, Chav's at that stage where he's trying to get his basics down. He's trying to get his basic uh, cow call, his basic chuckle, his basic bugle. And I tell people that's all you need because from there – you're just going to add some different intensity volumes, length and different stuff like that. But so where do you feel your gaps are in calling out? Yeah. So for me, uh, the number one thing for me to close the gap was number one, to get my diaphragm to fit, right? Not every diaphragm you pull out of the package is right for your mouth. I have an extremely small palate and, so when that big diaphragm gets in my mouth, I can't make it do what I need to do. And, you know, some, some really knowledgeable elk guys told me, well, you can cut that latex around it, you know, and, and get it to where it'll right. fit. So, so yeah. when so I did that. If, if, if you, you know, just cut you these on the side right here. Yeah. Cut it and, around the edge. I cut all the way around that diaphragm. So it fits really well up in there and I can make the, for me, for me, calling now less is more, and quieter calls are better. But right. I really let the elk dictate, and then of course, Chad's always there <laughs> saying, "Hey." But but what I'm this. asking is, though, Gilbert, is what do you think your weaknesses are that you want to improve on? Oh, before before you no go doubt. to that the too, chuckle. I'm going to show you yeah. what he's talking about right there. And right. and a, a lot of people, you guys, it's better to trim the sides before you trim the back off because. You know, that back is what seals against that soft palate. This is gonna this part right here is gonna be in the front palate and this part's gonna be in the back palate. Now if it starts to gag you and you're getting it too far back there and you're gagging, you might need to move it up more close to your eye teeth, or you might need to trim a little bit in the back if you got a real small palate up there and, and you're getting that gag reflex. But you, you can you can see the difference for somebody with a wider palate. Now the metals are the, the metal on the inside, it's about the same here. And mm-hmm. I know some of you on the podcast aren't going to see this. If you're on the YouTube channel, you, you can see what I'm talking about. Um, that part is pretty much the same. And it's all about how you trim it up as far as the rest of it. So that's what you were talking about. Now, yeah, Gilbert, yeah, yeah, and as far as the proficient part uh, where I lack, and uh-huh. there's no doubt it's the being proficient with some of the uh, extracurricular bugles, right? Like, uh, right. the chuckle part was really, was really a part where I have, and I still need to work on it. Uh, I, I have a small one that I do that tends to really fire them up. Uh, they don't like it, but for me learning how to imitate that bull that I'm calling, that's like, man, that's heaven on earth. When you do right. that, that just incenses them. Right. So, but again, I had to learn how to make those sounds and, uh, you know, I use a tube like you do, 
And uh, I think, like I said, the gaps in my calling were number one, understanding when to do that right, and right. Two, how to accomplish that chuckle. Right. I think yeah. that was the toughest thing for me. So, you know, for somebody in your level, I think now where you're at is it's, it's important to figure out what stories to tell or what is the uh, temperament uh, of the animal that you're trying to get in is, is that animal, you know, a bull that's not wanting to fight? Is that a bull that just wants to come in and, and, and check out a herd bull with his cows? I mean, if you start getting too aggressive with some of them, you can yep. spook them off. So there's, there's certain calls. You, you got to learn to know the temperament and which type of calls are, are aggressive and which calls are passive, which got, which calls are, fighters for fighters and which calls are for lovers that's the way i always put it and you know yeah, when you guys like were that. in camp you guys used to ask me so you know well, which call should i use the most and and that's tough because it depends on the time of the year and and you know a lot of these elk would rather be a lover than a fighter sometimes you know so that's something to to keep in mind there and uh, so i think you're right your gaps now are learning to understand the different parts of the language and whether that's a passive animal, aggressive animal, if they're buying in, if they're engaging, or if they have some fear, or if they just want to come in and try to steal a cow from you because you're, you're doing your thing, you know, tending some, some cows. So I, I think that's a, a, a big part. And I'm going to real quickly, before we go into the next part, if you could, what was the turning point for you and your confidence with Colin Gill? watching elk react, you know, and being with Chab there, you know, one year, the first year you put me with Chab, uh, we had an unbelievable event happen where we called two herds of elk together and, uh, a, two giant bulls approached us. I'd already tagged out. So I was getting to be with Chab and, uh, it was an awesome hunt and just watching the elk, uh, react to the calling. So it was about results, right? It it was for me, for me. And then being in camp, having you go, wow, you know, man, that that sounds pretty good, right? The first morning, that first morning you and I tagged up, we we shot bulls that morning. We sounded good together. Uh, We sounded like a little herd moving and heck, we had bulls on us in the dark, you know? So uh, I knew then that I'd listened to you for seven, eight years and I knew that I can mimic some of that stuff and I knew when to do it. Uh, I just needed to, that assurance that the elk were going to be okay. Plus you had Chad behind you going now do this <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do that. Yeah. 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 Man, <laughs> right? do this, do that, yeah. do this, do that. But I could accomplish the call. Right. 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 So then it was just learning about <clears throat> when to do it and how to do it. And look, I'm not going to lie. I still, when I hunt with Chad, it's precious to me. I still defer to him because he's got 30 some odd years of knowledge. I'm, you know, eight or 10, but when it comes to being able to make, make the call, I know I'm going to sound right. Right. And if we can get within range of that bull, we're going to get him that. So that's what I want people to understand out there is when we're talking about calling confidence, you have to understand that confidence is really result driven. Um, Whether that result is acceptance, like you said, from other hunters, you know, that you're with a mentor or somebody has been doing it for a while. And like you said, it's like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Joe turns his head and looks at you and go, Oh man, yeah, well, you got it going on. Or, or Chab goes, dude, that, that was amazing. Right. But the, you sound a lot like Joe. So I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm going to keep doing but the, that. There were a couple of times where it was like, yeah, no, no, don't do that no more. <laughs> I had my wrong, I had my wrong diaphragm. And yeah, figure right. that out to the second day. So whether that confidence comes from, you know, that result is acceptance from other hunters, like you said, getting a response, that's huge, man. When, when you make a call and whether it's a cow call and you get a cow call coming back or you make a cow call and you get a bull that comes back or even better, what you had talked about is, is seeing a cow or a bull's reaction you know, yep. to your call when, when you see it, it kind of stinks though. I bet you've had this happen and I know you've seen <clears> it with us when you're out there and man, you're, you're calling to this bull. You see him out in the middle of a park and he's just like, I could care less man. And starts feeding it. And that, you know, to me is like one of the funnest things to come across. Cause now it's like, all right, what is going to ring this dog's bell? 
right? Yeah. What yeah. is going to push his button? What is it that's going to get him? And you, whenever you have an animal that's by themselves that is not interested in another bull that's screaming at them, that is not in, interested in being aggressive, remember they are herd animals and they are social. So there's other things that you can do. So seeing that cow and bull's reaction is huge. And man, I tell you, uh, Gilbert, I know the first time, like you talked about calling in those couple of bulls, man, that, that probably took your, your confidence even to another level, right? No Absolutely. doubt. No doubt. I feel today that anytime I go in the woods that I can make, I can, we, if, if we're in the area of some bulls, we can make it happen. I right. mean, there's no doubt in my mind. I know that I can call them. I know I, I, I feel like I'm better at understanding their body, their language, uh, the the right sets to get into, um, you know, and I, and I've really understood that once you get one fired up, it's all about just speaking the language and getting right. to do what you want him to do. But, but what I, what I want our listeners to also understand is this, you can be doing all the right things calling and you are getting results, but they're just not the ones that you're looking for. In other yeah. words, you know, animals can be coming in silent you know, and that bunch. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times we're impatient. We move off before those animals get in there. You know, they're moving in silent and you find yourself doing something when it takes a little bit of time. Next thing you do, you look up and, and there's an animal on top of you. So, uh, they're, they might also be responding in a way that you either missed or you didn't hear, or you're not able to hear because, you know, topography, just how the lay of the land goes, how many times have we bumped into people in the way (laughs) yeah we're we're like we're we're in out we're hearing bugles all morning and we're like everybody's got to be hearing these bulls and and then you know you walk a half mile and you bump into another hunter and you go how's it going it's like man they're just not calling they're just they're shut up you know (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but but they're a half mile away right and you know, the thick trees, the, the, the roll in the, the hills are on the other the side of a ridge, right? Yeah. All wind that, pushing. you know, mm-hmm. can, can mess with you. Uh, it could be that they're chuckling, yep. you know, and, and you're not hearing that high pitch bugle. So, uh, and, and I'll tell you another thing is, and this is, this is a huge one, man. And I, uh, if I can educate you guys out there on anything, <clears> it's this is that one of the reasons that you might be missing responses is that you or your partner are too noisy. Uh, Either your equipment is making a lot of noise because, man, once they get into the trees or even if they're way far off, you you can make a noise that can cover that high pitch and you're going to miss it and you're going to think nothing's calling out there when they are. Or, you know, I can't tell you how many times I'll stop and I'll to bugle and I'm bugling and all of a sudden, man, I hear zippers coming down. I hear food coming out. I hear gunk, gunk, gunk with the water bottle. It drives Wrong me time. nuts, man. Yeah. Wrong time. I mean, look, a book be right on top of you, you know, and he's going right. to blaze right in there, and everybody's, everybody's standing there with food in their hands. I mean, well, really? And, and they're not able to hear responses, man. No you doubt. Know? And, and that's the main thing is when you're trying to locate, and I think what happens too is some guys start to get to the point where they, they don't think something's going to come in and they're on a nature hike or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, guys, you can hunt for hours and days and it only takes five minutes for things to change like crazy. Oh, man. And, no doubt. and it's like you're not ready for it sometimes because you get in that mode of just trucking along. All right. Um, another reason you might have missed it is because you disregard a bull's response as being another hunter. And, you know, there are times and ways sometimes that you can tell that, that calls are a hunter. But when it comes to hearing a, a, a weird bugle or, or hearing a bugle that you're like, oh, that's got to be another hunter, I, you know, check it out because – even if it is another hunter, it gives you an opportunity to talk to somebody, to get a little bit of recon, uh, to meet somebody out there, get some information that might help you for your evening hunt, might help you for the rest of your hunt. You know, so it's it's not a bad thing. And and don't be embarrassed if you get called in, you know. Uh, it, 
big deal, man. I mean, uh, at least you had some excitement for a few minutes there, right? You know, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. We've uh, been called in, and we've called in a lot of people. I mean, right. But one, rule one hundred and one is when you hear a bull, you better go look. Yeah, you got to go check it out, especially if it's hard to really hear it and there's wind and different stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, it could be that they hear you but are not responding to you or coming in because of so many other types of variables. It, it could be the story or the picture that you're portraying. You know, if you've got a, a, a young bull out there and he's got one cow with him and you're acting all aggressive, man, he's he's not wanting to lose that cow, you know, that young bull. Um, if, if there's a herd bull with cows and you're not within his zone where he wants to defend that and you're screaming at him, you're being aggressive, man, he's just going to round him up and move him out of there. Uh, I'll tell you the biggest mistake I made one time. I stalked all the way in between a group of cows and a bull bedded down. The bull stood up, walked away 20 yards and I thought, oh, man, I'm between him and his cow. I'll give a cow call, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. I gave that cow call. Everything jumped up and blew out of there because there was no story before that. None of those cows were talking. I, I didn't pay attention to my environment, man. So because they weren't talking, he wasn't talking to them, and all of a sudden this cow came out of nowhere giving a cow call, he immediately, you know, the jig was up, man. He knew what was going on. He got him out of there. So the story or picture you're portraying could be keeping them quiet. So you got to think about that. Also the phase of the rut, because the early rut, they're just not going to respond as much. So you really got to be listening. You got to be stopping and listening when you're calling. It could be that they've scented you. So they're moving out. Or it could have been that they've already been bumped by another hunter, you know, so there's a lot of reasons that you might not be getting the results that you think you are. So uh, that's something for, for you to keep in mind, guys, on that. Yeah, and sometimes it could just be a physical barrier. I remember one time uh, you were calling, and you said, I thought I heard something over yonder. And we were at the edge of a little ravine, and we saw a bull running towards us. And he stopped at the edge of the ravine on the other side looked down and just turned around and went back the other way. Yeah, he didn't want to cross. He just didn't want to cross a real sh- real short ravine to get to us. So yeah, I thought that was kind of weird. Maybe he sent it us. I, yeah. don't, I don't know if you recall that incident. No, I, I, in fact, that bull was – it was a huge bull. Yeah, and, he was uh, a big guy. Uh, yeah, and I mean, we were probably 50 yards from him across, uh, across yeah. the ravine and never even considered taking the shot. We thought he was going to come down, come up to yeah. us. And he came in kind of silent, if I remember. Yeah, well, he came, in fact, he came, he came in. Left, came back to the same spot, left again. I think he did that three times. Yeah, just didn't want to go down and up. That's another thing to remember too, guys, is that usually a bull, when they come into you and they do hang up to an area and they turn and leave out, shut up. Move to that area that they last came to because they knew they were safe to that point. They knew that, that they were good to that spot. And if you get up there and you throw some calls back behind you, that bull will come right back up to that same spot and give you an opportunity. So that that's something to remember that, that we learned the hard way there, you know, um, not only, you know, we have a lot of cattle fences, what you call, you know, four strand, three strand, five strand. And sometimes those bulls will come that and they'll just like walk up and down it and not, you know, not come across it. So there could be different things, you know, that, that cause that to happen. Watch several of them last year. Right. Yeah. Do that yeah. same thing. Finally, got an I got an idea and and uh, made him you know made him interested and yeah and, they, uh, and they come just across. kept right on coming. Yeah. yeah. Um. But that that's a tough one. I mean, you got to really sell it, man. Uh. I think some of the biggest differences between veteran hunters and beginners is this: is the veteran hunters understand that just because they call they're not always going to get an answer. You know, they understand that. And I think beginners are out there thinking, oh, I'm giving the call. They got to come in. You know, if it's early pre-rut, there's just not as many responses. Um, If you haven't hit the right button, you know, then you need to work at portraying a different story. 
Um, one can, thing uh, that can you explain portraying a story? Yeah, I know what you're talking about, and so does Gilbert. But there's probably some people out there. So there, there's a lot of reasons <clears throat> why elk give certain calls. Sometimes they give a call just to to just to say just to say, "Hey, I'm here." You know, it's not aggressive, and just communicating socially with other bulls, and you'll hear them sound off in different places, and uh, uh, or I could be. A, a bull that is looking uh, to pick up a cow. So I'm trying to uh, engage another bull and be a little bit more aggressive. Uh, so when I get a, you know, if I'm telling the story of me being uh, a, an aggressive bull, I'm trying to get the ire of another bull and get him so that he becomes defensive and wants to defend his cows, or he just wants to come and prove his pecking order one or one way or the other. So I'm painting and portraying a picture, but, you know, for example, in the early part of the season, a lot of those young bulls, they don't want to be, um, they don't be lovers. They don't want to be fighters, man. And so a lot of times when you hear a bull sound off, you don't necessarily want to engage him. You don't want to scream back at him aggressively because you're going to spook him off. What you might want to do is, is paint a different picture, tell a different story of maybe a bull with his cows just tending his cows by giving those kinds of rutting sounds, you know, um, the, the cow mews, the, the roundup uh, bugles, uh, the, the chuckles. You know, a chuckle is not an aggressive call. Um, the glunking, you know, that's something that I don't hear people talk about very often is a glunking call. And I, I'm going to tell you, it sounds like rubbing a, I, it, when I first heard it the first time, it sounded just like a tin can. You just rub it together. I'm, I'm going to give you an example right here. And, and this is an example of, of a. That's, that's the example of a glunk that those bulls do when they're around uh, their cows. It's, it's basically, uh, to me, in the way I've done it, I've always seen it when they're trying to let the cows know where they're at and they're kind of keeping those cows herded together and keeping them moving in a direction. Now, we do know that where a herd goes is determined by the lead cow, but when that bull starts to feel that other bulls are in the area, they will kind of circle around and do that glunking, trying to keep them a little bit on the tight side. So that's a sound that you could do, and you could do those kind of noises so that that one bull that's off there doesn't feel like you're challenging him. He hears those, those kind of responses where you're involved with the herd, and so he's coming in closer. And once he gets into a certain point where he gets in your bubble just like a real bull, and he starts to engage, now you can get a little bit aggressive with him and you can light him up. You, you don't want to necessarily still blow him out of there, but that's what I mean by telling a story. <laughs> Sometimes you're not calling to the bull that you want. You're making him think that there's other bulls involved. That's like I do a double bugle um, when I'm trying to locate. I tell you, I've gone on ridges and I have bugled no response, bugled no response bugle no response and i give a double bugle and all of a sudden man i get a response because now that bull out there hears two other bulls challenging each other and that gets him that that pushes his button to to throw out a call and uh i kind of give you an example what i what i mean by that i'm gonna try not to i'm gonna turn on this other mic and try not to blow you guys out here so it's basically one bull cutting off another bull and it sounds just by doing those two going to that high pitch starting to come down and going right back up it sounds like two bulls in the same area challenging each other so Another bull, it might light them up because they don't feel like it's challenging them. You, you understand that? 
Absolutely. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, so that's one way to do that. The, the other thing that you can do that a lot of veteran hunters do is if the elk aren't, if they're not excited, you can get them excited, man. You can create the excitement. Party time. Party party time. time, Right. (laughs) Yeah. Make it it happen. Put up, put on our own party, man, and make them interested in getting in that. Yeah, um, you guys did that last year, huh? Yeah. You, you and Gilbert were just bugling each other. And you get, you get call three calling. different callers back there, and yeah. you make it sound like bulls or uh, there's some cows there. You kind of sound like bulls that are starting to engage, and then you raise the intensity a little bit. You start to tell that, that story of them. Yeah, you get a lot of curious satellite bulls coming in. And, right. And you get even cows come in just just to see what's happening. Well, the cows are coming in because they want a dominant bull. Yeah. You know, so they're they're making that move. So those are the types of things that, uh, that, that you want to do. I can't tell you the times that you guys have called for me and, and you and RC Knox and uh, several Carl Gamage when they go away from you and they leave you in position. That's a huge key. I, for me, I like hunting two-on-one because you can actually do that. Set two guys up in front, and you start moving away, and that bull's going to follow that sound. Right. And you just drag them right by. And uh, right. it's uh, it's been, you know, even with Chab and I hunting together and him using the hoochie mama and me using the diaphragm call, it's been unbelievable. And I've watched those elk react to that hoochie mama call because it's an exact call, right? Right. And it doesn't get messed up. And, I mean, that – it's a perfect cow mew just about every time you push it. And when you've already got one fired up and he's coming, man, that really settles him down and he, he wanting to keep coming, you know? Right. So. No, exactly. And you know, the other thing that I, I tell people um, is experienced elk hunters, if they're not getting responses, they start paying attention to other things as well. You're just not relying on, the calling you know you're paying attention to your nose man because you pick up that scent you you can turn it on those bulls you can get right into them uh you can just hunt right into that odor um listen for other types of elk sounds listen for breaking branches rolling rocks um bulls fighting you know uh raking trees uh we had one one year i had a bull Chav's behind me with a with a camera. That bull is at that time probably sixty yards away, ripping up. It, we never heard him bugle. We just heard him thrashing a tree. Worked in there, came around and saw him working over this juniper. And so, first thing I do is I get down and I try to sound like a young bull. I said, "Oh man, he'll come in because it won't be threatening." He stick his head up, go right back to work on that tree just didn't care you know and this scene happened over and over to a point where i was like dude i'm just gonna next time he puts his head in the tree i'm just gonna walk up and shoot him right (laughs) so (laughs) before i did that i was like let me try something and i cranked out the biggest gnarliest bull i could down the other direction and that boy brought his head up and started coming to us and the reason he did was he figured there was a herd bull down there with cows. He he wasn't interested in another small bull. That that wasn't his interest. So yeah. that that was the story at that time. So, you know, there's other sounds that you can hear. I I would say the other thing to help yourselves out is knowing the best time to locate bulls. When would you say that is? Best time would be nighttime. Yeah. Yeah. Early it's, early morning, late night. But then sometimes middle of the day happens. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, especially for us when those guys start going in the trees early or, you know, uh, coming out late, going in, you know, uh, early. They're going to do more of that midday action. But in locating them, nighttime, a couple hours before daylight, um, a couple hours after dark are the best time. Because bulls are now in the in the lower openings, they've gone down low where it's cooler. Um, the conditions are stiller, and I don't know if people know this, but sound travels louder and farther when it's cold. So when they get down in those bottoms, 
Now they're not in trees. They're in open meadows, and they've got hills on the side with the cool air. And that itself almost acts like a grunt tube. It just yeah. projects that noise for you to be able to hear. So it makes it a, a whole lot easier. And when it's cooler, they bugle more. Okay. During the day. Un- yeah. And you can understand if you can hear them, if they can, if you can hear them, they can hear them. I'm telling you, they've got amazing hearing and they can pinpoint exactly where you're at when they hear it. That's one of the reasons that we talk about throwing sounds behind you to try to fool some of that, you know, um, but, you know, during the day, bulls, they're, when they're in the trees with the density of the trees and the topography, man, that just absorbs the sound. The sound moves faster um, because of the warm air, and it's just harder for you to hear them. So, um, I, guys, for your elk calling confidence, pay attention to that. Understand, we know that this is result-driven, but understand sometimes have confidence in your calling if it's if you're not getting response, think about the story you're telling. Tell a different story. Understand that it just might be a time when they aren't calling as much. Pay attention to your other senses. Optimize your ability to locate by going and doing night calling and locate then. You know, yeah, you might. So, Joe, um, if, if you were if you were gonna go if you were gonna start with your elk calling confidence, which calls would you? Would you need? So basically, I I tell people just start with those basic calls of uh, an elk mew, uh, a bugle, and uh, a, a chuckle. There's a difference between a grunt and a chuckle. Um, you can look them on, up on YouTube. An elk grunt and an elk chuckle. You know, one is aggressive and one's not. So you can learn about those. And you know, uh, we kind of talked about that stuff. Um, when we were down in Texas. So we're not going to go back and, and re-hit that right now. Uh, I think right now we're just over the hour mark, and uh, we've covered a lot of stuff here. Um, you know, I, I think y'all's viewpoints on things were just, were just super. Can and, you go over uh, just one thing to clarify for beginners? You said you throw calls behind you. Yeah. How do you do that? So the type of the, I use a different type of grunt tube. I use um, I use the Carlton grunt tube. I always have. Um, probably the main reason that I originally used this grunt tube was it's what they sold at Walmart. Um, I make sure that I put a cover on it. To I don't want any unnatural sounds when it's on there. But because it's flexible, I'm able to put this tube around me just like this. And I can have it pointed back behind me, and I can have this right here, right by my mouth. So when I'm holding my bow, I can actually hold my bow, and I can give a call, and I can point that grunt to project it back behind me in different directions. I actually direct which way I want a bull come in. Yeah, you steer I, the bull I steer him. in the direction you wanted to go. Yeah. So if a bull's <clears> going <throat> off to the left, I can just throw that call back over uh, opposite side of me, and, man, they stop looking. They start coming the other direction and have done that a lot. And by projecting back behind me this way, it's going to go and hit trees or something back in the back, and it's going to make that bull think I'm another 50, 60 yards behind me, and that could mean the difference to it between – him hanging up 80 yards out and me getting a 20 yard shot you know uh, a lot of those uh, uh a lot of guys use those new bat tubes and they're great for volume and stuff like that but for a solo hunter it would really really be difficult for me without making a lot of movement mm-hmm. you know and when i mean solo hunter i don't hunt alone i hunt with somebody else um but since I'm calling animals into myself, I, I actually act like a solo hunter. So I'm, I'm throwing sounds back behind me. So that's, that's what I do. And what's nice is, is when I have, uh, when, when I have this uh, tube here and I throw it and that animal starts coming in, all I have to do is just drop and push on the front of it. Now it's behind me and I'm perfectly able to draw. And that little motion right there doesn't do anything. Everything's nice and tight. Everything's right in there. So I don't have to worry about it. Um, so that's really been my, 
my MO, man. I mean, it's, it, it's brought in yeah, I, a lot of animals. I use it a lot all the time. And, you know, we talked about Chav and I getting hooked up this year and uh, that little trick to being able to throw that bugle in different areas meant us being successful or not. And it, it was painful. We, it took a long time for us to get those bulls to figure out that we were something over there that they wanted to come look at, but it was because we were patient and we were able to throw those cow mews and the, the, the softer bugles that those bulls decided that they just couldn't take it anymore. They had to come see. And I, I do want to show you guys, man, that's that inch and a half front on there. And then it does have the flare barrel on the front of it. So I get that volume when it comes out of there too. So I it's the same uh, one. Yeah. You know, I, we, we, gosh, I've lost so many. I have to buy them by I, <laughs> Wayne. Yeah. For, so, for a solar, <laughs> because, uh, solar. Wayne. Yeah. You know, Wayne, I've been a man. I, I think I helped uh, Mark go through school, bud. So <laughs> just on grunt tubes. Yeah. I would say it's a must for a solo hunter to yeah. have a, a grunt tube like that. Like that. Yeah. I know uh, the popularity of the bat tube, but usually it's two people hunting together and one's calling. Correct. Back yeah. here. So they, they don't have to worry about any kind oh, of movement. No, and, and it's great. The only thing I want to remind you, though, is think about volume. You know, uh, volume is great trying to reach out and get an animal to answer you out there. But sometimes, you know, when you're putting a lot of volume out in front of you and animals coming in, they're thinking that you're closer to them than what you are. So, again, remember what story you're trying to tell. And you know, there's a lot of guys do a lot of great things out there. I'm just trying to tell you beginners that, you know, think about the fact of what you're trying to portray to that elk. In fact, I always lead off with a cow call and I like to, I like to cow call through my tube, but before I ever cow call through my tube, I cow call just flat out because there could be an animal closer to me. And by me throwing all that volume out there with a cow call, they're going to think that cow is a lot closer to them and, and start expecting that animal to come into them. So that's just another little tip there. And I think we're going to have to close it out here, Gil. Yeah, no, look, we look forward to the next subject in our, in our confidence series, which is going to be equipment. So right. I want everybody to remember to subscribe. We don't mind uh, if you throw us a five-star rating. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Good luck to all of those out there that are uh, still waiting on their draw. But until next time, from H-Town here in the house, uh, we, we wish everybody many blessings and uh, look, look forward to keep grinding it out with y'all every week and look forward to seeing all of our, our, our uh, podcasters next week for sure. Yep, we'll, we'll see you next Tuesday. We might even have a couple of surprise ones in between there. Um, but if you subscribe, you'll be alerted to everything. So, guys, um, just keep dreaming the dream, keep prepping, keep working. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Good night, bro.